Um, so we're starting a new uh, series this morning, uh, Sunday School, um, and we're going to consider um, evangelism. Now I've just put on the um, on the handout. If you've got sight of a handout, um, just grab it. Under it, I put. It's called Ready? Question mark exclamation mark. As in, are you ready? Are you ready to do evangelism? Um, but I basically got pretty much every, not everything, but it's a substance of what I'm saying in the next three weeks from this book uh, called Ready: Evangelism for Everyone. Very, very helpful book on, uh, well, evangelism, as I say. Um, and I, hopefully you're going to capture something of why I think it's been really, really helpful. Um, but you might think, why, why do something on evangelism at Sunday school? Um, let me just, just give a, f- a few reasons on that. Firstly, I guess intuitively, don't we, we think evangelism is a, is a good thing to do. We just know it's what Christians uh, should be doing. Um, we often can't say anything more than that. We think, yeah, evangelism, that's what Christianity uh, is about to some extent. And as a church, it's on our radar. You know, it should be on our radar anyway. You know, we often talk about what are we about. I think it might be one of our banners. So Christchurch Central leads, gather, grow, go. We want to gather to worship God. Uh, we want to grow in discipleship and grow in number uh, as people come to faith in Christ. And then we want to go out into the world, um, again, uh, sharing our faith uh, in Christ, sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's uh, part of our... Just feel free to uh, dish out. Um, uh, try and listen to me as well, uh, but make sure you get a nice chocolatey bun as well. Um, so it, I guess intuitively we just know we should be doing it. I'm not going to spend too long justifying it. But a second reason is, and I really want to address this as we go through, is guilt. So we know it's something we should be doing, but I suspect also a lot of us feel like we're not doing what we feel we should be doing. Even if we can't articulate exactly what our lives should look like with respect to evangelism, we sort of feel that we're not doing whatever that thing um, uh, should, should be like. And I guess... Part of my aim here is to relieve us of that guilt. Now, not necessarily entirely. Uh, maybe you should feel guilty. Uh, maybe, actually, you're not doing what you really should be doing. And uh, you need to come to the Lord, ask his forgiveness, which he, which he will give, and ask him to trans- transform you. But at the same time, I suspect very often we feel guilty uh, about something we shouldn't uh, feel guilty for. Not evangelism in general, but specific uh, types of evangelism we feel we should be doing, but the scriptures don't necessarily command us to do. Thirdly, it's, um, I don't see any students here actually <laughs> this morning. Any students here? One or two. Um, it's the um, events week this week uh, for the Christian Union. So it used to be called Mission Week, but I think they want to sort of go under the radar a little bit more. Call it Events Week now. Um, but the point of Events Week is basically evangelism and mission. It's to share the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so I thought, what, what better time to do it? And then finally, it fits into um, James. I think I put this verse on your handout. So as we're going through James, we find James very challenging. And he's there to challenge us. We'll see this morning. It, he's challenging us as a friend. He's not just giving us a beat up. But he's challenging us as a friend. But one of the challenges is this. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And, and a lot of what we do in Sunday school is, is hearing. And what I mean by that is um, we learn doctrine, we learn truth. We've been spending a long term last term on the Apostles' Creed. And that's not a bad thing to be doing. So James isn't saying be a doer and not a hearer. He's saying being doer and a hearer. So those things are really important. But it's possible to be able to you know, recite the Apostles' Creed off by heart, to give an articulate defense of what was happening as Jesus you know, went, descended to the dead, 
and yet still not putting it into practice. So we want to be um, not just hearers of the word, but doers only. And hopefully this will be uh, quite practical. Now, as we begin, I want to just straight away over to you for conversations. So three, three questions. You might want to get a pen out just to write some stuff down. Um, so three questions. Just discuss, discuss this. I'll give you five minutes. Number one, how important is evangelism? Just instinctive answers. Don't worry about even getting it right. Just instinctively, how important is evangelism? One to ten. And why is it important? Uh, two, on a scale of one to ten, how are you doing in your personal evangelism? Do you feel guilty or do you have a clear conscience? So naught for help, I'm a mess. Ten, I'm going for it. Billy Graham. And then three, how does the idea of doing some evangelism make you feel? Physically sick? Why not? Or let's go, I'm really keen. Or something else. Have maybe two minutes to think about it and then share amongst your tables. Go for it. Uh, let me just answer the questions for you. My suspicion is how important is evangelism? We think, uh, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten. Why? Because people are going to hell. I guess that's what people think. On a scale of one to ten, how are you doing in personal evangelism? I guess most of us would be on the, the left-hand side. We think sort of help. And how's the idea of doing some evangelism make you feel? I guess well, probably a bit more of a spectrum than that, but hugely dependent on our personal disposition. I guess if we're... Often it's not related to godliness. Often if we're naturally shy, we don't like conflict, we might just be, you know, physically sick. And often which we're naturally quite brash and insensitive, uh, we're really keen to do evangelism. Not necessarily related to godliness. A bit more of a variety on that. I want to start off just, just looking at the importance of evangelism. And let's, just, let's, let's not dodge the reality. It is really important because people are going to hell. And I'm not going to talk loads about this, but I just want us to remind us of the text. Okay, so let's go to... Uh, Matthew 5, so none, none of these, neither of these two texts we're looking at are texts talking about the importance of evangelism, but they are texts on the importance uh, of our eternity, and of course people are only going to avoid uh, God's wrath if they know the gospel, so uh, Matthew 5, 27 uh, to 30, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than, the whole, uh, than that the whole of your body go into hell. So it's just very simple. Jesus is saying that um, being saved is more important than having an arm, having an eye, having a leg. And we know, don't we, how grateful we are when we go to the NHS and we get something uh, significant. I mean, some of us will never have used the NHS or, or even you know, private health care that significantly. Others of us will have had some life-changing uh, treatment. We're just saying it's more important than even that because we're talking about uh, eternity. So you could say the work of an evangelist is more important uh, than the work of a, of a life-saving um, uh, doctor or surgeon. And then just flip, flip over a couple of books to Luke, uh, chapter 16. We actually looked at this briefly when we considered to descend into the dead. I just want to uh, point out some slightly different things. So Luke chapter 16, I won't read the passage, I'll just point to a few verses. So it's the rich man and Lazarus, and it's about their eternal destiny. Um, it is a parable, but, but um, illustrating eternal truth. So verse, 20, uh, verse 23, it talks about the rich man in hell being in torment, Verse uh, 24, he says he's in anguish. Verse 25, again, Abraham affirms here, you are in anguish. 
and verse 26. There's no way of getting out of this place as well. So it's very, very serious, and we, we don't have time to dwell on it, but it is just worth meditating on those you love, even those you don't love. What is their eternity? Okay, so we do need to have that in our mind. Uh, secondly, and more positively, uh, the compassion of God. So again, we won't have time to go through these verses, but you'll probably vaguely, um, uh, well, you'll certainly be familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He's compassionate. His love led to a costly gift of his own son. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 35 to 38. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had his compassion on the lost. Um, Jonah 4, verse 18. Let's just read that. Now, so, so here um, God is talking about the wicked city of Nineveh, the enemies uh, of God's people. And... Uh, And this is what he says at the end of the book. Jonah has no compassion at all. And this is what God says. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand to their right hand from their left? So the destiny of unbelievers, the compassion of God, and we want to be like him. And then the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, maybe flick to this, probably quite helpful. So Ephesians chapter uh, 1. Uh, Ephesians in many ways a little bit like Romans in, in one sense it's just giving a big overview of the gospel um, it's doing more than that but it's something less than that and uh, so if we look at Galatians, Ephesians 1 maybe verse uh, 13 to 14 in Christ you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory so what's the purpose? What was the purpose of, of the Ephesians hearing the gospel and then being saved? Well, one of the reasons to, 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 so they, they, left, they, they weren't eternity in hell. One of the reasons was related to that was God's compassion. But one of them was the glory of God. And we want to give glory to God, don't we? There's nothing better than giving Christ glory. Now, I don't think any of this is new to us, is it? Uh, we know these things. It's really a reminder uh, and yet we still find ourselves off in a state of feeling guilty, don't we? Now the stakes are high. They, they really are high uh, when it comes to people's eternal destiny. It's not a thing of indifference. Uh, mission really matters. So we feel guilty that. I think we also feel guilty because we often see other people doing uh, better than us. Um, my four in the Gambia were in a church in London and there was this lady there. She was a, she was a GP. And she was, but also an evangelist. And she was pretty convinced that one day she'd be sacked for a job because she did not s- stop speaking about Jesus as a GP. There's one a remarkable time um, when uh, this this guy came in to see her, and she said, "What's what, what? You know, what's wrong with you? How are you ill?" And he said something like, um, "Well, I've had an affair." And she was like, "Well, well are you feeling ill?" He said, "No, I just feel very guilty." He just wanted someone to speak to. And she was exactly the right person for uh, him uh, to meet with. And she wrote down her prescription um, leaflet. She, she didn't write down any medicine, but she wrote down, uh, I think it's 1 John 1. Um, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But we, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse from every kind of wrong. He went away with the gospel. I mean, I just think, I could never, even if practice GP, I could never have done it. And she, wonderful woman she made me feel guilty 
maybe think of famous evangelists. Maybe Billy Graham mentioned him. I don't know who you've heard of evangelists. Maybe J. John, maybe Tim Keller, Rico Tice, Glenn Scrivener. Maybe it's not evangelists. Maybe it's missionaries from the past. You know, Hudson Taylor to China. Uh, Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott uh, in Ecuador. You think, I'm just not what I should be. Uh, maybe you hear about street preachers and you think they're slightly crap, like crass. But you think, maybe I should be doing that. So we often feel very guilty because of what others are doing. And I think we feel guilty as well because we feel the environment is against us and we feel a bit cowardly, don't we? And again, it's right to think, okay, the environment is against us. If we think the environment's not against us, I think we're, we're fooling ourselves. Now, just look at the Christian Institute, their website. We, it was raised in our prayer meetings this week. They're always recording how uh, the world is constantly trying to legislate just to chop away at the rights of free speech uh, for Christians. It's something that we should pray for. And yet, despite all these things, it is always the time for evangelism. It's always a time for mission. I put a verse down there. I've, I've quoted it. It's not 1 Corinthians. It's 1 Chronicles 16. Not, sorry, so you just have to write that out. Now, this, this verse in 1 Chronicles 16, in one sense, you know, it's just... You know, what does it tell us? Read it out. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among the peoples. Now this is first in a psalm. It's in Psalm 96. And, um, you know, Psalm of David. And, you know, the kingdom is wonderful. They've got a good king and it's wonderful. But it's picked up again in 1 Chronicles. And the time it's picked up is when Israel is in a total mess. (coughs) An absolute total mess. Um... The, they've been in exile and then they've returned from exile and the temple is a mess and God's people are weak and they don't look like they're being blessed. And what did the chronicler decide to write down? What message did those people who were small when, uh, you know, like we see in our country where sort of, you know, the census show us that the percentage of Christians is tiny, the number of people in Israel was tiny. What did the chronicler think those people needed to hear? He thought he needs to be reminded of this again. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. Um, let's just think uh, through a little bit more. I'm going to th- see if you can articulate in your mind what is evangelism. So come up with a one-sentence summary of what evangelism is. And secondly, who should be doing this task? Okay, so write down uh, one-sentence summary what is evangelism and have a think about who should be doing this task and we'll just do that for uh, two minutes so do that really quickly what is evangelism who should be doing it go okay let's draw together uh, let's just take a few answers say picking it random this table over here uh, what, what is evangelism okay Great, okay. Straight Math 28. Thank you very much. Who should be doing it? Okay, great. Thank Anyone else got any other answers? It's pretty poor showing if no one knows the answers. We've got a lot of work to do. I'm going to have to rewrite the rest of the series. And what about the back? What do you guys think right at the back? Brett? Valerie? Yeah, and who should be doing it? Everyone? Okay. Any different answers? Church ministers. Church ministers? No, no, no. Not our job. <laughs> yeah. Any, over here, anything different, similar? Okay. Right. 
Okay, so um, I, it's really worth thinking through um, these questions. I, I think often we get a lot of trouble because we don't. We, we're, we're sort of. We generally think it's just everyone without any distinction, and I think there are some distinctions, as was sort of alluded to actually over here. But just want to talk about four realities about evangelism, and the first one um, is this. Just checking, I've written these down on the sheet. Okay, you're probably not an evangelist. Okay, you are probably not an evangelist. You might think, whoa, 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 hold on a second here. What's this is sounding, you know, jaunty's away for a few weeks, and all of a sudden, all sorts of strange teaching. You are probably not an evangelist. Why, why, um, why is that the case? Well, ho- hopefully, there's a, an extent to which that is a relief. I think we think, I've got to be an evangelist, and because I'm a bad one, or... I'm not an evangelist, therefore there is guilt and condemnation. Now, if I should be evan- if I am an evangelist and I'm not doing it, then there is guilt and condemnation. But the question is, are we actually all evangelists? And I think the answer is actually, you are probably not an evangelist. So I say probably, I mean, I don't mean I'm not sure about this. I mean, I am quite sure about this. Most of us probably aren't evangelists. There probably are one or two of us who have that gift. But most of us are not evangelists. Uh, what do I say there? Well, firstly... The word evangelism, what does it mean? It just means good news. So you can see the word in evangelism, the word angel is in it. Angel means uh, messenger, so you know angels are heavenly messengers, aren't they? So the word angel means uh, messenger, and uh, like the Greek is euangelion, and the you bit means good. So you've got a good message, and it's a good message about the Lord Jesus Christ. So an evangelist is someone who announces good news, and the context of that is quite like an announcement. Now, it's, it is broader than that. We have this thing called a semantic range, where some words are used more technically sometimes, and other times they're just used more casually. And I think you see that range within the New Testament. But, it, but in terms of this word evangelist, who is an evangelist? This word is only actually used uh, three times in the New Testament. I've written them all down there. So firstly, um, Acts 21, verse 8, it talks about Philip the evangelist. I won't look them up, but feel free to it later on. And doesn't go into it in Acts 21, but back in Acts 8, we get, a, we get a vision of what is Philip actually doing. Philip the evangelist, he's a deacon, but he's also an evangelist. And we see he's involved in Acts in this sort of, it's preaching to the gospel in Samaria, and there's like a revival. And then later on, do you remember he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch? Do you remember the Ethiopian? He's a sort of, um, he's a government official, um, very high ranking. Another chari- he's reading Isaiah 53. And Philip takes him from Isaiah 53 to proclaim who the Lord Jesus Christ is. So he's, he's one of them. Uh, secondly, Timothy, I'm not actually sure about this one. So uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, Paul says Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So again, we've got that word evangelist. And it's unclear to me whether or not he's saying, you're not an evangelist, but you should be doing the work of an evangelist. Or whether he's saying, as a preacher... Uh, part of your role is to be an evangelist I'm not quite sure but either way the point is an evangelist is a specific job of some people and then that's unpacked in the next verse as well so Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 13 um, it talks about um, the apostle Paul talking about again the way the church has been set up through various offices so apostles, prophets, pastors and teachers or past teachers and evangelists and whatever we think about those things, we, we, we know that we're not all apostles, we're not all prophets, we're not all evangelists, we're not all pastors and teachers. If I said to you, on the simplest one, how many of you are pastors here this morning? I don't think many of you would put your hands up. Uh, or I don't think anyone would expect all of us to put our hands up. So 
when I say you are probably not an evangelist, what I mean is an evangelist is a specific gift from God to the church. And therefore, this should give us non-evangelists breathing space. It should, it should relieve us of something of the burden not to do what we're called to do. I guess most of you don't feel guilty that you're not preaching on a Sunday morning. Maybe one or two of you do. Come and have a word with me afterwards. We can, uh, we can talk about that. But we, we just think it's a job for a few people, don't we? And I think that's what's going on uh, with the idea of evangelist as well. Now, of course, you might be an evangelist. You might be. We're probably not an evangelist. You might be. Seem to be a minority rather than a majority thing. Um, this idea, though, of being involved in the work of mystery. So only, the word evangelist is only uh, used of sort of three people in the New Testament. But this idea of evangelistic activity, you can see an awful lot of places. And the Apostle Paul does often talk about these teams of people who are at work with him in the work of the Lord. So you can see that in Philippians 4. He ref- refers to Euodia and Syntyche. Romans 16, he just lists a load of people who are in his, in his team. And I don't think he's saying to Romans, by the way, you should be in my team as well. And if you're not, you're a rubbish Christian. He's just saying, praise God for look what these people have been doing. And I think he's also looking the fact that they're people who have supported him or who need support as well. So you're probably not an evangelist. Bit of relief. Secondly, uh, professionals and programmes are sometimes unhelpful. So... Uh, let's talk about programs, event-based evangelism. We don't do it an awful lot. We do it a little bit. I guess um, we've got some things coming up, actually. So I'm not trying to undermine the invite. In fact, I probably am mindly undermine the invites. You're going to get an invite later on. Use it. It's fantastic. But think about it. It's part of the wider picture. Part of the wider picture. Um, so they can be really helpful if you've already got to a certain place. But just a cold invite to someone saying, come along to my Christian event. It's not going to do an awful lot of good. Particularly when a culture shares a completely different worldview. So it used to be said in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, maybe not nice so much, but you could basically invite someone along to an evangelistic event like Billy Graham and people would hear the gospel and it would all click and they'd come to faith in Christ. But the reason for that was they basically did believe in a God. They did believe in uh, good and bad, in right and wrong. They did believe in sin. They did believe in a judgment. What they probably got wrong was the fact that we have to make ourselves right rather than the grace of Christ. Um, but nowadays people are coming from such a long way back that it's quite hard to use those events uh, in quite the same way. Uh, and there's a danger if we think about um, professionals in terms of church staff just doing all the evangelism, uh, then no one else does anything at all. Uh, no one does anything but inviting. I want to mm. see those more to the mission of the church than just inviting stuff to events so uh, you're probably not an evangelist professionals and programs are sometimes unhelpful thirdly and this is almost the key thing really we all must be ready to answer Uh, we all must be ready to answer now I've put a load of verses um, out there now it is quite remarkable if you think about it that the idea of mission is throughout the scriptures so it starts in Genesis chapter 1 fill the earth and subdue it Take my lordship, my rule, God is saying, over the whole earth. Now, obviously, it's only to Adam and Eve uh, at that point. But he's saying, take my, I, I rule over the whole world, and you're to rule under me in the whole world. So Genesis uh, chapter 1, Genesis 3, uh, sorry, Genesis 12, all nations shall be blessed through you, Abraham. All nations, the world will be blessed through Abraham. Uh, Exodus, we see how God does all these 
signs and powers, not just to save his people, but so the whole world would know that he is God. We see in Ruth, she's a Moabitess. She is uh, like the, the, the worst of the nations, and yet she's brought in to God's people. In fact, she's a great-great-grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we see it in 1 Kings when the Queen of Sheba comes from probably somewhere like Ethiopia, and she sees how wonderful um, God is as so she sees Solomon's kingdom. We've seen Jonah, haven't we, uh, sent to the Assyrians. And then Matthew chapter 1, we see the, the Magi coming in from outside. And then the end, uh, Matthew 28, we see the commission for the church to go out into the world. Revelation, we've got people from every tribe, uh, language, um, and a, a nation coming to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got all of that, and yet we've got very, very, very um, few commands for ordinary believers to preach the gospel. So how can we hold those two together? Well, I think what we see is two things. Firstly, is the New Testament assumes that Christians will live alongside others, will live alongside others. So let me read out these verses. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So Paul's talking about church discipline there. He's saying don't associate with people who are immoral, who are claiming to be Christians. In other words, because you're sort of affirming the hypocrisy. But you say, oh, unbelievers, yeah, spend time with them. You, you, it's, in, it's, in, it's basically impossible to live a, a life without rubbing shoulders with unbelievers. So we're, it's assumed in the New Testament that we will know unbelievers. We'll be rubbing shoulders uh, with unbelievers. Again, look at um, 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Day of visitation. So again, unbelievers should be able to see the conduct. Uh, unbelievers should be able to see the conduct of believers. There's an assumption that we're living alongside uh, one another. But then this is where it gets really interesting. So look at, look at the next few verses as well. So Colossians 4, and then 1 Peter continues. Colossians 4, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And again, 1 Peter 3, but in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. So there's a sense in which ordinary Christian believers are not called evangelists. Uh, we're not, all of us are not gifted to preach, but all of us are told... So Paul's writing a general letter to Colossians, a general letter in Peter, writing a general letter in 1 Peter, so broad circulation, and every single Christian is told to be ready to answer um, for the lives uh, that we live. Um, now finally, and we'll, we're going to unpack this in the next two weeks, but finally, lots, there's lots in the scriptures about supporting evangelists with money and prayer. We'll see that. I mean, there's a sense in which that's a given, but, but the point is, is we are a body. And we might all not have the same job. We might not all be specific, uh, wordy uh, people, word evangelists. But we're all called to be at work, involved in the work of the evangelism as a church. We've got different gifts. And some of us can be real prayers. Some of us uh, can be givers. Um, So really the main point I want to get across this morning is Christians need to be ready to answer. Christians need to be ready to answer for the hope that they have. Now, why is this uh, so freeing? Uh, why is this so freeing? Let me give you um, five reasons. Firstly, it removes the guilt that we're not meant to have. 
fantastic. It moves to what we're not meant to have. We can't all be great evangelists and missionaries. We're not, we're not all meant to be. And that is okay. We've got different dispositions, different gifts, different opportunities, different burdens. Um, you know, it might be the case that actually someone in our family has a health crisis. And we, it could be that you have to spend 99% of your time looking after that person. There is no condemnation that you don't have time to evangelise. All sorts of different reasons why we might be not be evangelists. Uh, you are probably not an evangelist. And it should be freeing. Uh, secondly, it encourages us to get on with the task that God has given us to do. So uh, I've, I've heard it taught a few times before that there's basically two reasons why Christians go into the workplace. Two reasons. And these are the reasons. One is uh, make money so that you can support gospel work. And two is um, go to work so that you can tell people the gospel. So there are two reasons. Make money for the gospel and go to work so that you can tell people the gospel. Now, they are brilliant things to do, so I'm not knocking those things at all. Um, but there is, there is so much more to our work uh, than that. We, we are called to work as Christians. It is the way God has ordered the world is for us to go out and work and to put bread on the table. And if we know, actually, that in and of itself is a good thing, it means we can go to work and do a really good job in our work. And we don't have to manipulate circumstances whereby we can tell people the gospel actually we just get on and work well and work hard people then may well uh, ask us uh, questions so it frees us to get on with what we have been um, commanded to do Uh, thirdly it means that our friendships can be genuine friendships we can genuinely love people we can genuinely take an interest in them now I'm not saying don't look for an opportunity uh, to speak the gospel at all but again, we see this, don't we? What is the emphasis? It's when you love people really well, when you live really distinct, they will not be able to help. Uh, well, didn't quite say that. It says they will. They will often ask you of what is the hope that you, you have. And then you say, I, I'm commanded to love this person. Therefore, I can genuinely love them. Um, and uh, finally, it means that all personality types can be involved in the wider work of evangelism. Uh, why is that? Because all of us have relationships. Some of us might just have, you know, one or two friends. We're quite quiet. Uh, we don't like, um, you know, the limelight or anything like that. We're all going to be spending time amongst people, though, aren't we? Um, and it really frees us to say, okay, I'm not a big personality. I'm not a big speaker. I find it quite hard. But do you know what? If someone asks me a question about myself, I can answer that. And therefore, I'm going to focus on living a godly life amongst unbelievers and wait and pray for the questions to come now again all that to say is if you've got an opportunity to share your faith absolutely go for it pray for opportunities to do it why because the stakes are so high and gives glory to god but what is the expectation the expectation is that we'll live amongst the world people ask questions and then we can share the hope that we have um okay just brief time for quick does anyone want to make any questions or comments any questions or comments yeah. How do you tell the difference between um, guilt and like conviction? So if you're sort of feeling like you should be doing 
conviction that you are an evangelist. Yeah, or kind of yeah, conviction from the Holy Spirit that yeah. might be using you to, you know, go and um, you know, yeah. sort of pushing you to go and tell someone or each other. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, definitely, we, we're taught to be courageous, aren't we? Yeah. And we're taught to take our crosses, and we're told that we won't be liked. So if we think, oh, I don't like courage and I don't like opposition, then we say, hold on a second, that's that's not what we're talking about here, um, because following Jesus means taking up a cross. I guess what I want to distinguish between is um, not so much uh, guilt, because gu- again, guilt can be quite a loaded term. So uh, I think the two words I want to distinguish between is between conviction and condemnation. So if we're not doing something that we ought to do, the devil wants to condemn us, saying, you're not doing what you should be doing, you're bad, God doesn't love you, give up on it. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit that says, um, in one sense, it starts off the same way. You've not done what you ought to have done. But the point of conviction is to, the Holy Spirit convicts us that we go to Christ for mercy and we go to Christ for help. With respect, to, I, I think you're also asking whether or not we know we're an evangelist or not. Is that right? Um, I guess, I, I think in this sense, evangelism is quite sort of a technical thing. So it's like just most of us aren't evangelists, full stop. I don't think that doesn't mean, though, that we shouldn't be bold and courageous to take opportunities where we can. I think we should be bold and courageous to absolutely go for it and pray for it. But it's more the flip side. What happens when they don't come about? I mean, I've got two neighbours at the moment. One's called... I don't know what their names are, because it's recorded. But um, I don't mind if they listen. Johnny and Adam, hi. Um, And I, I would love to share. I would love to share the gospel. I'm spending lots of time with them. And sometimes we get conversations around that area. But as soon as it comes up, they just They just dash. And I guess what I'm trying to think of saying, okay, um, I, I think I am trying to work out what's going on here. I've invited them on stuff that they're not, they're not taking the bait. And I think it's just saying, I, I, think, I think when you're doing the, sort of the Colossians 4 thing, the 1 Peter 3 thing, you've just got to keep praying and keep, um, and keep living it out. And if you think, I, you know, I think there is an opportunity to say something, I'll get a hearing. Absolutely go for it. Any other questions? Fraser, yeah. Um, so in the sort of friendship type of evangelism that you talk about, uh, you're seeking for opportunity. What, why is that favourable over proclaiming the gospel, allowing them to hate you, and then you fulfil your responsibility towards them? I mean, just, just your standards are pretty unbelievable if they don't have yeah. that response. Um, and is there a debt? And if it's if that's not the best option, um, what fellowship does might have without us? Um, well, shouldn't marry an unbeliever. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's fine and good to be friends with unbelievers. Um, I mean, friend, friendship is quite a again a broad term. So, what do we mean by that? Do we mean fellowship in the Christian sense? No, like this. You know, you're my brother and sister in Christ. My, my blood brother and my blood sister I'm very close to my blood sister in Christ there's a distinction um, what was the first part of your question again oh just to, why don't we just speak it and go and be hated for it I, I think we could do that and if that's your inclination then maybe you are an evangelist I just don't think that's what we're commanded to do in the scriptures I think what we're commanded to do is to basically live godly lives amongst people. And I'm not denying, the, I'm not saying don't take, wait for the opportunities, like hope they come, pray that they come. Um, 
But I think the emphasis of the New Testament seems to be, the wisdom of the New Testament seems to be live uh, amongst unbelievers um, and obviously let them know you're a Christian. So, um, it took, so it's a slightly different passage, but 1 Peter 3, it talks about wives and husbands. It talks about a, um, believing, a believing wife and an unbelieving husband. And it says something like, though they're not con- convinced by your words, yet they are convinced by your good conduct. In other words, there's an assumption that they know, uh, the husband knows that the wife is a Christian. And I think there often there is an assumption that uh, people need to know we're Christians, otherwise they're not going to ask for the reasons for our hope, if that makes sense. But they're not going to be able to believe unless they hear the gospel. Yeah. So, so how does that gospel conversation come up, I guess? Yeah. So it's not, it's not saying don't speak the gospel, it's just saying... Um, how should those conversations come up? Does that make sense? Yeah. We'll talk about it more. Um, let me close. Uh, to, I was going to give a few concluding points. So, firstly, salvation is really, really important. Our salvation, other salvation, is really important. We're not all meant to be evangelists, but we are all meant to be uh, ready to answer. Now, I don't think we've got time to discuss this last question. Maybe, maybe I'll start it, um, the start a question for uh, next week. But just maybe have a think about it. So not including your parents. Um, which per- I mean, for a lot of us, it will just be our parents, and it's quite hard to articulate um, how and why. And we can't then go on and be other people's parents, if that makes sense. So um, uh, which person had the biggest influence on your becoming a Christian? How were they influential? Which Christian did you, did you live alongside? So just think, have a think about that question this week. Um, who is the person who was most... So for me, my parents were Christians. Um, but I didn't become a Christian until I was about 20. And I'm massively grateful to my parents. When I think without them, I would never become a Christian. But someone else actually took me over the line. Well, maybe I'll mention it next week. But have a think about what did they do and how could I maybe um, uh, imitate them? Um... Yeah, no, actually, that's, that's the full question. So what do they do? How could I imitate them? Have a think about that next week. I'm going to close uh, with prayer, and then we'll move through. Father in heaven, um, help us never to minimise the importance of the gospel. Father, please, would we know that without the gospel, people will not be saved. Um, Father, please, would you have mercy upon us? Forgive us for when we've been uh, cowardly, Uh, Forgive us for when we have lacked compassion. Forgive us when we haven't cared about your glory. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to be those who live alongside uh, other unbelievers. Uh, Would our lives witness to a wonderful hope? And we pray that you'd give us opportunities to speak. Please would people be uh, asking questions. And Father, please uh, would you help us uh, to be wise in the way that we live as well. Please would we live in such a way that it uh, commends and adorns the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.